Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Radio Red in the house. We're fighting with Zoom and Restream, trying to, oh, unable to, we're trying to live stream. Facebook, you will see us in about an hour when the show is over. We will run it. AK Radio Red in the house. It is Monday, November 21st, Thanksgiving week here in the U.S., and I am calling this show giving thanks for creativity. Why not? I want my four special, we have four on the panel. It's a packed house today, a full house, as they say in poker. I want you all to join me. We have to do a special shout out, Philip and Susan and Dan. Daniel and Heidi, I haven't even introduced you yet, but I'm going to put up my hands to make the letter L. And on the counter three, I want you to join me saying hello, L, L, L. Now be well behaved. Here we go. One, two, three. Hello. Josh, that was one of the best. Yes, Daniel, you know it. I think Daniel was a pack leader on this. Very, very well done. LLL is lovely, lanky Laura Legs, our most loyal listener. She's been listening for many years. And I'm warning all four of you, at 8.01 p.m., I will receive an email from Laura. And she will give me a synopsis of what you said on the show, Susan, and Philip, what you said on the show, and Daniel and Heidi. You will all have a little tiny report from Laura, and she'll tell me how much she loved hearing all of you. So there we go. That's Laura. She's been doing that for years. So what is special about this day today? It is the 325th day of 2022 of the Gregorian calendar. I always do a shout out to Greg, Gregory, Grego, whatever his mommy called him. We're still using his calendar. Is that cool or what? 42 days left in 2022. This is the 47th Monday. And Philip, nobody gives a crap about that except me. And you don't have to either. Philip, I need you to smile once in a while. There you go. Okay. Now, the reason I tell you there's 42 days left is because I know that Susan and Heidi are going to be making some kind of homemade whiskey and is still behind the house. Remember the prohibition days? Well, you inherited the still from somebody in your family. You have 42 days to make it right. Philip is going to be probably making some kind of Kahlua in a sink in his garage, although I've never been to his house. And Daniel, you're going to be buying some really high-end champagne at an online liquor store and having it delivered. But I have news for you. The shelves are almost empty already, Daniel, because we're so happy to be approaching another new year and we're all still here so you better get started ordering philip i want to make sure that that kalua tastes really good so get that started in the sink okay nothing can happen in your garage until then we are still in the western zodiac sign of scorpio it is the eighth astrological sign of the zodiac it ends today is anybody here a scorpio anybody celebrating a november birthday no 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 okay i was a libra baby what are you susan quickly what sign are you taurus taurus philip what are you uh, Capricorn. Capricorn. Daniel? Virgo. Virgo. Heidi? Aquarius. Wow, we've got five signs. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know what's unbelievable about it. It's just very interesting. So let me tell you all a little bit about who my guests are, and then they will introduce themselves. We're still trying to live stream, but I don't know why. So here we go. Heidi Bolliard. Heidi, wave hello. Just wave hello, and you'll Hi. talk in a minute. Heidi turned her love of math and art from a high school class on design and architecture into a 30-plus year architectural career designing custom homes and renovations, and that's her creativity. Heidi, can't wait to hear from you. Thank you for joining me. Then let's go to Philip. Philip Fracassi. Wave hello. There's Philip. And as you will see, when eventually we get to live stream, he's got a skull next to him who is threatening to talk during the show. Philip comes to us by way of Mickey Mickelson at Creative PR. And Philip has managed a band. He was a music executive, music industry executive. He owned a used bookstore. He has written screenplays. He's had two movies produced. And he now writes horror fiction. So, Philip, I think you're the winner on the most diverse creativity on the show today. Philip, wave hello again. Happy to have you. Appreciate that. And then we have Susan Conley. Susan, wave hello. And wow. Susan founded something called Rock Biz, R-O-C-K in caps, lowercase b-i-z, to help professional service providers. Her upcoming book tells what she does. 
your loyal clients rock. Eight strategies for greater client relationships and results in business. Susan, welcome and thank you for joining me. And of course, not least and not last, but he's just the fourth one and that's the way it goes. Dr. Daniel Monahan. It sounds like Monahan, but it's M-O-N-E-H-I-N. He is the head of Resolute, spelled the French way without the E on the end, Resolute Consulting. It's a global leadership development firm. He's the author of the book, The Pragmatic Optimist. I like that. I was going to call the show The Pragmatic Creativity today, but I didn't. Six Proven Strategies for leading during a crisis in hell. We've all had a lot of those recently. So welcome, Radio Red welcomes you to Read My Lips, giving thanks for creativity. Let's go around the table. Let's start with Heidi Bolliard. Heidi, I met you at the National Publicity Summit a couple months ago. So glad you accepted my invitation. And thank you for sending me a more complete bio. I enjoyed learning more about you. Heidi, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of taking about three minutes and telling us who you are, more about what you do about your architecture practice, and also, most important, what does creativity mean in your life? Heidi, go ahead. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Radio Red. So yeah, like you had mentioned, I had taken a drafting class in high school as an elective, and I've managed to turn it into a 30-plus year career, which has been just phenomenal. So as a residential architect, you know, creativity is is what we do every single day. So in that, it doesn't matter if we're just initially meeting with our clients to find out what they're looking for in their home, if we're actually designing for them, or even if we're laying out, you know, structural systems with the home. It's all about creativity the entire way through. Even when we're working in the construction field, once it's under, you know, once it's under construction, like, because we'll have issues pop up. So working through things like that, just it's creativity and just also, you know, lots of communication with working with everyone involved. And then also um, with that, just the creativity um, part of it, um, we've, I've also worked that into a program where I also work with real estate agents to train them to think like an architect. So taking the process that I've used for over 20 years as a residential architect to teach them how to walk through a home and really help their help real estate agents work with their clients on a much higher level. So giving them some skills and just also the pre-process we use to find out what our clients are looking for. So, but a lot of it too goes back to not just creativity, but listening. So Heidi can't. Can we call it creative listening or listening creatively? Ooh, I love that. Yeah, because I'm guessing, I've had guests on this show, I'm talking to all of you right now, who come on and they say, I didn't know I was a creative person. Said, well, did you pop out of your mother with a manual, with a handbook of what you were going to do in your life? I think we're all creating. People say, oh, improv, that's so hard to do. I took improv lessons. I did stand-up comedy, had my own troupe. Mm -hmm. But this is an improv conversation. Just just so you know, there's no script here. We're figuring it out as we go along. And isn't that true, Heidi? But Heidi, in your case, it's sounds like you're trying to talk your clients into thinking creatively about what they want their home to represent, how they yeah. want to live their own creative versions of their life in that home, and yeah. how does that happen between the structure and the person. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really creating homes that align with, with them and their lifestyle and their family. Thank so, you. Thank you, yeah. Heidi. We're happy Thank to have you, you here. Philip Fricassi. Join me. How are you, Philip? We'd love to hear more about in between all of those little dots I connected, all the things you've done. Uh, I'd like a fuller bio. Philip, go ahead. You're on speaker view. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of different things. Like you said, I've also I owned a bookstore. I managed a band for a while. I uh, I was actually spent most of my life in film and TV production. Um, I worked in a lot of different capacities as a crew member for over the last 30 years mm -hmm. on and off. Um, and yeah, and in between there on the bookstore and the music stuff. And, and I wrote some screenplays. Uh, one was for Disney uh, and one was for lifetime television. And, um, and then around 2015, I started putting all of my efforts into writing uh, genre fiction. I've, I've been writing my entire life, but it wasn't really until I started writing uh, genre fiction, except around 2015, that things kind of took off for me in that 
side of things. And I've published a couple short story collections. I've published a few novellas, which are very, very short novels. And um, my first debut novel just came out. I have a prop. Just came out uh, a couple weeks ago called A Child Alone with Strangers. And I've got a couple other books coming out in the next uh, 12 months or so. So I'm kind of doing the writing thing full time now and pretty much focusing on on fiction. And to answer your question about creativity, I mean, it's really in my field, it's all about creativity. It's about coming up with ideas and that, you know, are surprising and exciting and interesting and then putting it into a book form and uh, and then uh, hoping people find it and people like it. So it's a it's a it's an exciting it's an exciting field to be in. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of self motivation, but um, but it's a it's a lot of fun for sure. Very fulfilling. Thank you, Philip. I was going to ask how many hours a day do you write on average? Just just what's your method? Are you a pantser or a plotter? Do you know the difference? Yeah, I'm a big time plotter. I it's part of my screenwriting background is you have to have everything outlined and structured. Mm-hmm. I'm a big art story structure guy, so I outline heavily before I start writing a book. And I've written six books now four of which have sold, all coming out over the next couple of years. So, um, so yeah, definitely a plotter. And I write, I'm at my desk 12 hours a day. I'm usually writing around four of those 12 hours. The rest of the time I'm doing other stuff that I need to do to keep the, the business wow. operating and promoting and all that stuff that you need to do to be successful. So it's a lot of work, but I, I really enjoy it. So I don't mind. Thank you. I'm glad you knew the difference. For the rest of you, if you don't know, a pantser versus a plotter. A plotter like Philip outlines their book. They know the beginning. They know the end. They know where things are going, and then they fill in in between. A pantser is by the seat of their pants. They just sit down and write. I'm a pantser, and I started my novel last year. It's a scathing satire on on HOA communities. And I, I'm using a fictitious name because if anybody found out it was me, they'd hunt me down. Don't even ask. <laughs> so I'm ju- I just do it as I feel like it. And I, I've just moved 50 days ago here to Tennessee. So I've been busy, but I'm going to start writing it over the holidays. Resume writing. And I'm having, Philip, I'm having a blast writing it. And Philip, I've written three romantic comedy plays and produced them with community actors when I was in New York and just had a blast doing it. And I started at one in the morning, wrote till four in the morning, full-time job and it took about three weeks to write each play and and then yeah. I directed them and engaged the actors I trained them I, I uh, mentored them and I had the time of my life so right. I I understand the process a little bit but I admire you let's go around the table Susan Conley can't wait to have you introduce yourself you're up go ahead dear Hey there, Red. And I need to hire you and Philip, I think, as a ghostwriter. I am on my first book, and it is quite a process. I have a whole newfound respect for published authors, let alone multiple books, let alone New York Times bestselling books, but I will not give up. So it's pretty exciting to put my decades of global experience with professional service providers into a book and the process that I've fine-tuned over the decades. Uh, It's exciting, but it is a laborious process. So next year, I hope to get that book published. Uh, I ended up in my career in a very unusual way. I graduated with a uh, marketing degree, went for a while, about six years with the marketing full-service agency, ad agency route. And then my dog got tangled up with another dog and that owner was an accountant. And I ended up spending most of my career in global accounting firms, which I don't do math. And my CFO dad thinks it's an absolute riot, but I don't, and Dr. Daniel, I think you're an accountant by trade as well. So I love the challenge of bringing creativity to accountants, attorneys, business management consultants, and I love helping them cultivate loyal client relationships to create rock solid growth. Uh, Loyalty economics, you know, people, we love the shiny new car. We're just human nature. We love getting out to the new client, go for the big global shiny new pursuit, and we can tend to ignore, this goes for personal relationships too, really. You kind of tend to ignore that what what you have and that being your loyal clients. So I really focus in on helping, I used to do business development, I don't do that anymore because it costs six to eight times more to go out and get a new client than to sell something additional to the existing client. And I don't say this on my business shows, but Red, because you're fun and you are a party, I need to give everyone a little bit of a clue how I remember the power of loyalty economics. It is an acronym. 
It is bra. Loyal clients buy more from you. They recommend you to others and they advocate for you in the marketplace. So that's why your loyal clients rock. <laughs> Philip, you could use that for your books, right? For selling your books and your movies. They buy more, buy more from you. They recommend you. And the, what was the third one again? They advocate, advocate for you. Advocate in the for you. So they become your marketing. They become your marketing team, an adjunct marketing team. Evangelist is another another term for that. I love it. Thank you very much. I I like that, Susan. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, I did have a, a dear accountant friend who, who I was, um, a, let's say, a very close friend who, when I started on WGBB AM radio in New York, came to the studio with with me one night, drove me in a pouring down downpour where the it was two to three inches of water on Meadowbrook Parkway. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, on Long Island, going down to Merrick, uh, in Merrick on the South Shore for the radio station. And I said to him, you're going to have to do a little filler for me. Do you have any jokes? And he said, I'm an, I'm an accountant. You expect me to tell jokes? <laughs> so he had prepared a few and they were terrible. They landed with a thud. And he said, that's what you, that's what you asked for. That's what you got. It was, was pretty funny. Anyway, last time I ever asked an accountant to tell a joke. But Susan, I like that a lot. Dr. Daniel Monahan, we've been talking to you. We've been talking about you. We've been talking with you. And it's time. I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please so be so kind as to introduce yourself? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I, my career trajectory, um, I began in banking and I thought I was going to be a bank CEO. Uh, but eight years into my career, middle level management, um, I overcame um, a, a fear that I that I'd had for all my life, um, the fear of public speaking, um, and it, yes. <laughs> and now, when I say so, my audience think I'm joking. They think it's another punchline. Um, so it's hard to imagine because um, it was something I dreaded um, heavily. But when I overcame it, I also discovered my passion um, and that is to help leaders become better versions of themselves and this is where i you know pause to tell your audience your your greatest adventure may just be waiting for you on the other side of your fear so um i was kicking and screaming it wasn't easy i tried to avoid it but thank goodness for my friend who was head of hr and she said daniel you've got a great voice and i said it's not about the voice it gets stuck here and that's the problem <laughs> and and in three weeks I walked on it and little did I know that actually what, what it takes to become a different person in form of a different behavior is a minimum of three weeks and it can take up to six months um, for you to walk on it. But I was on the short end of it. I had only three weeks like, anyway to transform because the deadline was approaching and I did and it was hugely successful. So 1998 was when I knew I was going to do this. So what I did for the next 20 plus years, I didn't know what was going to take me that long, um, was to grow myself in three ways. Number one, compelling. Number two, credibility. And number three, content. On the compelling side, I know that you cannot change leaders if you do not grab their heart and 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 not rip it apart, but convince them to change. Because leadership um, change is not learning new technical things. That's technical training. It's actually becoming a different person in terms of changing behavior. And that's very hard to do. So you need to be compelling to get them to do that. The second thing is leaders go, they're, they're quite small. They go, what have you done? You know, why should I be listening to you? So, and they, they always ask for your one-page bio. That's what they're checking. They go, send me your one-page bio. So they're asking, what have you done in your own career? So that's the credibility part. I've done a lot. I've been a CFO, as you've heard from Susan. So a third of my career was as a finance person, and I became a, you know, rose to be a CFO, but I grew business also so on the front end, which I did for two thirds of my career, building businesses globally. At a point, I used to run 47 countries um, and then developed a business that grew into over 200 um, countries and territories. Um, I've, I've, I used to be my last 10 years in career. I used to be on over 90, 95 flights a year. Um, it was it was it was intense, but I enjoyed every bit of it because it's about adding value to everybody that you meet. So that's me. Thank you very much. Well, that's a lot. I am impressed with all four of you. And by the way, Daniel, that was very funny when you said people said with that voice and you said it got stuck here. Uh, I will tell you that I was shy about speaking in class until my my uh, what was it? My spe speech teacher was speech was an English teacher, Mr. McCollum. He was very 
we were feared. We feared him. We were fearful of him. He was fearsome. That's the word I'm looking for. And I decided to read a bread recipe from the Joy of Cooking cookbook in front of the class. And I gave the recipe as a speech talking about making homemade bread. And it was a wild success until it was over. And he said to me, you just shared copyrighted material. You shouldn't have done that. But I was hooked on public speaking at that point after I delivered my version of a famous bread recipe. It was quite interesting. Let's just leave it at that. The other way to get over it is to take a stand-up comedy class. And I took Steve Rosenfeld's American Comedy Institute stand-up comedy class. And in three weeks, I was on stage live with 10 also very nervous wannabe comedians at Caroline's, the famous comedy club in New York, with a professional intro comedian and an outro. I called them the bookends. And we were scared out of our minds. And we had about five minutes on stage. And we had to talk our family and friends to coming and paying a full ticket price to be there. And I had a table full, my mom, my dad, friends, neighbors. I think I wanted two tables full and it was celebratory but if you ever want to be scared out of your you know what you go on stage in a big comedy club after three weeks with a three and a half minute routine and the blue light your time is almost up lady get off the stage with knees quaking and sweat pouring down and I got invitations to perform around New York after that and for my own troupe but I'll tell you Daniel facing a live audience in a club like that if you if you want to launch yourself into public speaking, go try to be funny and stand in front. Anyway, I'm just saying that was that was one of my trials by fire, and uh, it was a very interesting way to do that. So thank you very much. I appreciate all four of you. You are so interesting and so accomplished in so many different styles of creativity. And now this is the part of the show where I've asked each of you to please send me a favorite or maybe not so favorite quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show or a song lyric that has nothing to do with creativity, but it does because you're going to explain how in your own words. So Heidi Bolliard, you're up first. Heidi has sent us a quote from George Costanza, played by the wonderful Jason Alexander. (laughs) Seinfeld, of course, the marine biologist, season five, episode 14. It first aired on February 10th, 1994. How many years ago was that? 22 and 6, 28 years ago. Hard to believe, Heidi. The background is Jerry Run into his college friend Diane and she asks about George and he says oh George is a marine biologist of course it wasn't true but George had talked about doing something with a science fiction show on TV George and Diane start dating because she says oh that's really cool they take a walk on the beach where she asks him about something that a marine biologist would know and guess what he does it it's disastrous meanwhile Kramer is practicing golf at the beach with a trunk load of golf balls he had in his car he gives Elaine an electronic organizer which I have no idea why that's in this Elaine is supposed to meet a Russian author, but Jerry's practical joke backfires. But the key to this episode is that the producers asked George Costanza, played by Jason Alexander, to give a monologue at the end of his speech to Diane on the beach. And they didn't have a week to discuss or to learn the monologue, which usually takes. So they put up some kind of cue cards, and George walked himself through the monologue. There's a whole YouTube on this. Well, It produced one of the longest sustained laughs in the entire history of Seinfeld. The audience laughed for over one minute. That is a long time for a studio audience. It was only rivaled by Kramer's I'm Out from season four, The Contest, in 1992, four years earlier. So here was the quote. I can't wait for you to do something with this, Heidi. You know I always wanted to pretend I was an architect. Heidi, you've got, let's go do two minutes because we have so much to talk about. Two minutes, what does this have to do with creativity? Heidi, go. Oh, it it just, it ties in with my career of being an architect because so many times, every time like I'm out or meeting new people, they're like, oh, I wanted to be an architect when I was in school. I wanted to be an architect. So it's just funny how he switched that. It's just, and, and yeah, what he says about being an architect. Okay. (laughs) Was that one of your favorite episodes of Sign? Did you watch it? It was, it was. Yeah, I've got to go back and watch it. I watched Jason Alexander talking on YouTube about how the monologue came to pass. And I that was a very enjoyable interview. He was being interviewed. I don't know the gentleman's name. And, and he told all. And it was amazing how they compressed the amount of time to learn a monologue. How about that? Yeah. Very successful. I had no idea that they spent that long working. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He did it right there on the fly. They said, "Hey, do a monologue." Wow, everybody thought it was hysterical. Let's go on to Philip Fricassia. Send us a quote from R.J. McReady, played by the one and only Kurt Russell. By the way, it's Goldie Hawn's birthday today, Philip. (laughs) 
I don't mm. know if you knew that when you picked a quote from Kurt Russell. No. Uh, and you didn't. Well, how about that? Uh, this is uh, The Thing, 1982 American sci-fi horror film, how appropriate for your genre, based on the 1938 John W. Can Campbell Jr. novella and Philip told us what a novella is. Who goes there? <laughs> a group of American researchers in Antarctica encountered the eponymous Thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates then imitates other organisms. The group is a, is overwhelmed with paranoia and conflict, thinking each other is the thing. Oh, my goodness gracious. A lot of people in it, by the way, they spent $1.5 million, Philip, of the $15 million budget for the creature effects created by somebody named Rob Botin, B-O-T-T-I-N. He mixed chemicals, food, rubber, mechanical parts and turn them into an alien capable of taking on any form. I didn't see the movie. It was reviewed as instant junk and a wretched excess. And it also had competition that summer from E.T., the extraterrestrial, and yeah. a lot of sci-fi movies. So it didn't do well. However, once they released it on home video and it went to TV, it was now reappraised as one of the best sci-fi and horror films ever made it has spawned novel a novel novelization haunted houses board games comic books a video game and a 2011 prequel here is the quote would you get to it already red he's thinking okay here we go nobody trusts anybody now and we're all very tired philip what does this have to do with creativity go ahead well i'll tell you another factoid about the thing uh that you might not know which is there's a scene in the movie where uh a doctor is pumping a patient's chest and the patient is has the alien inside them and just as he's pumping the chest the alien uh the chest becomes like a giant mouth and it eats the doctor's hands and so he kind of you know this so he's just got these like these stumps and he's screaming and blood shooting out of his stumps right and What's interesting about it is that in the movie uh they didn't want to they didn't want to use a practical uh effect to, for, or they didn't have the, you know, they couldn't do CGI back then. There was no computers. So they actually had um, uh, the actor, they brought in a special actor to do the arms bit who didn't have hands. So the actor actually didn't have hands so that when they chopped the hands off, they were fake hands. And then the, this whole thing was, so anyway, that was, it was a, it was a, it was a stunt actor <laughs> who didn't have hands. So um, as it <sighs> pertains to um, creativity oh uh, yeah you know it's just what i do i mean i mean it's that's a classic line so for those who have seen the movie which i've seen 50 60 times uh that scene from mcgreedy kind of encapsulates horror in a lot of ways because he is at his wits end he is at his physical and he is surrounded by potentially surrounded by monsters people are dying he's in a he's he's in an isolated environment which he's in the north pole he can't get anywhere he's trapped and he's just like basically doing like a diary and he's saying you know uh we're all very tired and he's just and it's just a great horror moment so for guys like me who uh who you know live and make their livings uh doing writing horror um it's just a very powerful a very powerful moment one of the more powerful moments in cinema uh that kind of encapsulates a lot of what i think horror really is which is just sort of this pushing you as a reader and as a viewer to the brink of what you're capable of of uh of receiving and um and and uh you know and then hopefully having a lot of fun having a lot of fun with it while you're while you're there so that's why i picked that quote i just think it's a great horror quote and it's a great way to kind of like kind of in one in one sentence encapsulate everything that horror really is Thank you very much. And and Philip, if we relate that to getting accepted as a novelist, getting accepted as a filmmaker, who whom do you trust? You, your agent, the publisher, the the advocates, if you will, Susan, the audience. Who do you trust to like and embrace what you're doing? And it can make you very tired trying. How many times have we heard of famous authors trying submitting a book 20, 30, 40, 50 times, right? And then giving up and then somebody grabs it or somebody self-publishing. And then all of a sudden a big house says, oh, we want your book. So very I saw many different levels. Thank you for the quote. I don't think I'm going to watch the movie, but thank you for the reference anyway. Oh, it's Let's, a great movie. Susan Conley, here's a movie we can all get our arms around. The quote is from Yoda, the Jedi Master from Star Wars. Fictional character first appeared in the 1980 film, The Empire Strikes Back. Small, green, humanoid alien 
powerful with the Force and a leading member of the Jedi Order until its near uh, annihilation. He's voiced and puppeteered. I love that word because spell check never passes it. It's P-U-P-P-E-T-E-E-R-E-D <laughs> by Frank Oz, who reprises the role in The Return of the Jedi, the prequel. Who can keep up with prequels and sequels and tricles and quack? I, I don't know. Uh, never mind. Uh, the character was mainly voiced outside of the movies by Tom Kane, and Yoda has a distinct pattern of speech and a role as a wise mentor. And of course, this is one of the famous, I quote this to people I mentor from time to time, Susan, do or do not, there is no try. That was terrible. Susan, forgive me. Talk to me. How'd you pick this one? And what does it have to do with creativity? Go ahead. I absolutely love it. And I think it was last Monday. Didn't someone on your show steal my favorite quote? It's possible. It's very possible. Yes. I was doing my homework on you and someone loved that quote as well. And here's here's why I love it, especially maybe it's because of this book in this season of life. Uh, I have a bit of type A tendency, but, you know, we can all make so many excuses. Are you going to do this thing or are you not going to do this thing? And as uh, Yoda said to Luke Skywalker, you can say you're going to try and do something, but do or do not. There is no try. And so if you're going to be creative, go start collecting ideas, start trying to connect them in fresh ways, but you've got to do it instead of just talk about it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yes, um, I, I was, I'm considered an early woman in tech, Susan and everybody. And I started back in the day as a programmer analyst mm. in the day of key punching. And I could write code on paper over a weekend, come in and key punch over a thousand cards and put them into the system and have the program running before noon that day. So I was one of those nerdy geeks. Uh, I was programming mm -hmm. in COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 before before uh, uh, Honeyox. It was Honeyox before Honey, Honeywell bought Xerox. And then we got monitors and we could type in our code without having to have a deck with a box with hundreds of <laughs> cards in it. You dropped the box, you were sunk. I don't think anybody here remembers. I still have green bar paper and I have my COBOL book. Last year on March 8th, 2021, I was invited to be the off speaker for the organization Women in Big Data. And I brought, I did a slideshow of pictures of what the old room size wow. computers mainframe looked like and what green bar paper looked like and what a core dump with EBSIDIC looked like and handwritten notes on what, what my, anyway, it was, it was a riot. So what I'm trying to say is in the early days, we thought of binary math was it's on or it's off, right, Susan? The yep. light is on. Forget about dimmer switches. It's on or it's off. So do or do not. There is no try. Thank you very much. I still love that quote. Let's go to Daniel. You've sent us a quote from Doctor Who and the Fourth Doctor, 1977, season 14, episode four, BBC's TV series, The Face of Evil. It's an incarnation of the Doctor, the protagonist of the BBC sci-fi television series, Doctor Who, portrayed by Tom Baker. The Doctor is a, here we go, century-old alien time lord from the planet Gallifrey who travels in time and space in the TARDIS, T-A-R-D-I-S, frequently with companions, uh, blah, blah, blah. He's whimsical. He's sometimes brooding. He has enormous personal warmth, ah, just like Daniel, tempered by his capacity for righteous anger, just not like Daniel. And all of his, all about his companions and his alien teenage aristocrat and his flight attendant, Tegan, all these people. Here's the quote, the very powerful and very stupid have one thing in common. Instead of altering their views to fit the facts, they alter the facts to fit their views. Daniel, what in the world does this have to do with creativity? You get the award for the most serious and longest quote of the week. Daniel, go ahead. <laughs> right. Uh, it's because, um, you know, every virtually every creative process ends with, oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't think of that. Um, and for insecure leaders um, who, who are used to wielding power, they usually very uncomfortable with that because the creative process usually challenges their views and it causes them to to have to chalk their view and take on a new view. What I'm just saying is that the creative process um, is, is antithesis to the wielding of power. Um, creativity does not adhere to the distribution of power in an organization, which means the best ideas can come from the lowest level people and you that have the power need to recognize that and be, be comfortable with that and use your power instead to remove roadblocks 
to provide resources and to execute. Because, I mean, creative ideas are a dime a dozen. The difference is what can you do with it? How can you execute it? So, Thank you. And that goes back, Susan, to do or do not, right, Daniel? Yes, there is no absolutely. Try. Philip, same with you, changing genres, right? Do or do not. There is no try. You're going to write that book or not, Heidi. You're either designing a house that's going to make your clients help them feel relaxed and be creative in their own way, or you're going to create a house that they just live in that's like a box, right? Maybe they like to create in a box. I don't know. Anyway, thank you very much, all. I really appreciate the work on the quotes. What I'd like to do next is read one statement from each of you from your creativity notes you sent me. I'll pick one. Don't worry. I will read it. You don't have to go find your notes. And just take two minutes to embellish or describe it a little bit more. So, Heidi, yours is, of course, about your practice, but I found one very interesting. And, Philip, I'll pull one up for you, one for Susan, one for Daniel, and then we'll do some famous birthdays and they'll be fun. So Heidi says, I create homes that are a relaxing retreat for my clients to rest and renew from the busy outside world and to nurture their family. Just talk to me briefly about rest and renew. How do you know that when you're creating the space for them as their architect? Heidi, two minutes, go. When I'm working with them and really listening for what they're looking for, it's creating a home that aligns with their lifestyle. So if it really functions to work for them, it brings the sense of calm and relaxation. Like when they're coming home from a busy day, like to be able to walk through the store. And I've had so many clients tell me that they absolutely love the moment that they arrive home and walk through the door just because it gives them this wave of relaxation as they walk in. So, um, you know, creating that by listening to them of what they're looking for to really create a home that aligns with their lifestyle. And then too, like going back to creativity, like if Uh it's a home that's full of clutter and there's things stacked everywhere, um, you know, you have that treadmill in your closet that's got clothes stacked (laughs) all over it. Like you can't be creative in a space like that. And I think that, you know, we, we all are creative. Like just even like the four or yeah, five of us here today, like we're all from very different backgrounds, but we're all very creative in our own ways. So everybody's creative. And if you don't have that space, that's calm and relaxing to be within, like you're not going to be able to be as creative as you could be. Thank you. And I took the sunroom in this house I just bought and I had a dear friend put up six Venetian blinds because it looks out on the backyard over a deck and it's very dark at night. I don't like to be in a room with no coverings. And I turned it into an art room because I created 200 paintings of watercolor and uh, paint pouring with acrylics when I was in Durham and I brought them all with me. So I have boxes of paintings. So I set up the paintings. I set up an easel. I set up a work, took my mother's old dining room table after she passed. It's a gorgeous table with leaves. I put a glass top from my own dining room table. The, the, the legs to go under it broke in transit. My fault, not the movers. I put the glass over it and I put some uh, pads on the carpet underneath and the light is fabulous. And that's my new art room. So I took a sunroom, got rid of the table and chairs. I had the the owners sell it to auction or estate sale or whatever. And I made it my art studio. And that space is perfect for me, Heidi. It doesn't, it's not heated. It's not air conditioned, but I have a little heater and it's cool and delightful in there, even in the winter. So that's what I did with a space that the family who lived here used for something else, created my own space. Thank that's you. Fantastic. Thank you, Philip. Let's go to, I like your statement number four, Philip. I'm going to read it. You say you can't write for readers because every reader has different tastes, different likes, etc. Create, and I'm going to use the broad term create, Philip, not just as a writer. Create for your own personal satisfaction. Make sure you put out a professional quality product if that's where you're going. But the person you should want to please the most is yourself. Philip, this is so important. Talk for two minutes, please. Tell me more. Well, from the writer perspective, what that means is that because exactly what I said, which is you can't please everybody when you're creating something that's inherently subjective like art so whether you know like Heidi has clients so she focuses on their clients and what those guys want so it's very specific it's very it's very geared toward a specific client whereas you're when you're a writer or an artist or a musician or whatever painter uh to your point um you don't know who's going to be looking at or reading or watching your movie or whatever and everybody has an opinion I have literally gone on to my Goodreads page um and looked at my critiques for my my story collection and for example and this is a true story i had 
uh, one review said, uh, you know, I loved the book or whatever. My favorite story was X. My least favorite story was Y. The very next Goodreads review, right under it, literally said, like the book, my favorite story was Y. My least favorite story was X. So these, that's the point is that you, you don't, you know, when you're creating, you can't please everyone. So I think part of like pleasing yourself is not like, well, if I'm happy, then who cares about everybody else? It's more of, I'm going to be the judge of whether or not this is good of whether it's my best effort of whether it's something that I think is done to the best of my ability uh to my point in in your quote that I my quote that you wrote read uh is it professional is it you know so if if it's if it's if it's all those things where you've tried your best you've done you've done your voice um you've created a professional product and then you put that product out into the world then you can't really worry about what everybody thinks of it because you'll find your audience you'll find your viewers you'll find your readers you'll find the people who like what you're creating but you can't if you try to please everybody you'll drive yourself nuts because it's really not possible especially with something subjective as art if you're not doing a client based um service uh then and you're just doing it you're just putting stuff out there to the masses you've got to make sure that you are first and you know foremost satisfied Obviously, if somebody's paying you for that product, like a publisher um, or, a, you know, an anthologist or a magazine or whatever, you want them to be happy, obviously. But really, when it comes to readers, you just got to put your best foot forward and hope that um, hope that somebody likes it. And hopefully more people like it than don't like it. And that's kind of what creates momentum in the publishing world. So, yeah, I think you can apply it to a lot of different artistic fields. Um, but that's kind of where I was coming out with that quote. So I always try to make sure that I'm happy with what I'm doing. And also one last quick thing is that I tell you something else, which is when I'm creating something, if I'm getting bored or if I'm getting like, if I feel like what I'm creating is standards, uh, you know, subpar, not exciting, I'll stop and I'll take a step back and I'll be like, well, hold on. If I was reading this, what could I do that would be really crazy or really cool or really exciting? And so I kind of always look at things from a reader perspective and from a creator perspective, because I want it to be an exciting, engaging um, piece of art. So, so that's kind of what I mean by that quote. It's just, it's just sort of my way of making sure that you, people aren't over worrying about every single piece of person who's giving a critique on something, just do your best, make a professional effort. And you'll, and if you do that, I think in most cases, and if you persevere, eventually you will find people who gravitate toward what you're doing. Thank you. And look at the reviews of The Thing. They said terrible things about it. And then it yeah. was reappraised years later when it went out on TV and, and home movies, all of all of the more consumer-facing rather than just in the theater. And now it's a cult. It's one of the best sci-fi movies. So look at what they must have gone through, Philip. You imagine the, the millions of dollars in the time, the years, the casting, the production, the creations, the the, the ooky stuff. And, and it was panned. And they're probably saying, Oh, crap, but we thought it was really cool. And then yeah. everybody else said it was cool. Think of what happened when those reviews came in, how brutal that was. Yeah. Think of any movie or TV show or song. Oh, it's brutal. I didn't like her song. I didn't like his anthology. I didn't like this. Well, you're absolutely right. And I once asked a, a sculptor I met on one of my TV shows in New York how she knew when she was done. And she said, I know. I just know. And I've experienced that with my painting, Philip, is I know when I'm happy with it, when I'm satisfied, when I know what it means, I did it for me. Mm -hmm. I hang it up. I look at it. I enjoy it. I don't expect anything from anybody. Oh, I really like that. Well, good for you. That's your problem. Anyway, <laughs> ha, let's go to Susan. Statement number one, I like this. They say, to me, creativity is about creating a vision, about going about it 100%. Yes, it will be risky. Yes, you must be wise, but no need to wait for permission. After all, Orville Wright, did, Orville Wright didn't have a pilot's license. Well, that's kind of scary. But Susan, my question is, no need to wait for permission. That's similar to Philip's statement, but a little bit different. Talk to me, Susan. Two minutes. Go ahead. I think that just sums it up. And I love um, the no pilot's license. And it's just a matter of overcoming your fear, I think. I heard a quote the other day too. It says, it's really a matter of, are you going to be regretful? Oh, how did it go? Um, you're either going to face your fear or face your regret. And that is the piece about creativity because sometimes those dots have not been create, uh, connected before and you may be the first. And I love what you guys have been sharing about it. If, if it's good in your gut, if you're excited about it, if it speaks to you and resonates with you, put it out into the world. Seth Godin is a great marketer who speaks about putting your product out into the world. You got to launch and, and get that feedback. Um, so 
got to got to take the risks. Gotta a calculated take- risk, of course, too. Not too crazy, but um, you got to die with no regret. That's my goal. Absolutely. And I had a guest on the show a couple months ago who talked about courageous creativity. Philip, do you agree with courageous creativity? You've got to have the courage to do what you what you want to write about, what you want to promote. You got to have the courage to do it. And you also have to make sure you have a very thick skin so that when people mm-hmm. criticize it, you're you're not you're not you're not using that as fuel against yourself and that you're, if anything, use it as fuel for yourself. You know, that was an interesting way of looking at it. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for that comment. And Daniel, let's do, I'm going to combine two of yours, Daniel. I'm still going to give you two minutes because we're almost at the end of the show. Statement number one, you say it's easy to be creative about something for two or more days. Fewer people have the discipline to remain creative about a subject for two or more months. A minority will sustain creativity for two years, but it takes a visionary to be creative about an inspiration for 20 years. That's what it means to live one's vision. And then you also say incremental creativity, I've never heard of that before, is often underestimated in favor of instantaneous creativity. But when you constantly add a little creativity to a little creativity to a little creativity in time, it will become ex explosive <coughs> i see what you did to me explosive creativity i'm going to mute myself two minutes daniel go ahead while the host tries to uncough herself go ahead daniel <laughs> well, well th- thank you so so that um, idea came out from the research um behind my book um the pragmatic optimist six proven strategies for leading during a crisis um and it was based on five years of my doctoral study and three years postdoctoral study looking at how leaders um, can overcome challenging times and this was pre-covid uh, this was in 2014 so i began the research in 2014 concluded it um, three weeks before COVID was announced. So nothing to do with COVID. Um, but, but, but the learnings are, are very, very structural. So it was what, um, you know, Philip said, uh, there is perseverance that is required. And that is an attribute of the pragmatic optimist. The pragmatic optimist is dogged, is tenacious, um, and believes in their goals and they bend their energies towards that goal. Um, and an 1893 um, quote from Elmira Gazette said that observe the post the postage stamp. Its usefulness depends on its ability to stick to one thing until it gets there. That's what pragmatic optimism is, and that's what is required for creativity. Um, and that also helps when we talk about incremental creativity, which means, you know, it's a little on top of a little on top of a little. Instead of trying to go for, you know, go big or go home, that has a ton of risks, um, you know, attached to it. So that's the kind of balance um, that you would have. And there's so many examples um, there. You're talking about smartphones now as we know them, but no, they began from, you know, the 1G and then 2G and then 3G and then from 3G to BlackBerry and then from BlackBerry to Apple and on and on. So it's incremental creativity and that's how we get there. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I appreciate all of you sending me your notes. Um, I think we've covered most of them, but I want to squeeze in. We've got, ooh, four and a half minutes left, and I need a minute to close and to thank everybody. Let's do some famous and not-so-famous birthdays. Goldie Hawn. Philip, I don't know how you picked a Kurt Russell quote, but that was really, really cool. Goldie Hawn. Anybody knows how old she is today? Anybody know? Take a guess. Nobody's going to go for it. 76, actress, director, producer. Performances in Private Benjamin, Overboard, Butterflies Are Free, The Sugarland Express, Foul Play. She's the mother of, oh, what is his name? Oliver Hudson and the mother of Kate Hudson. Oliver is in a series mm-hmm. called The Cleaning Lady on Hulu, mm-hmm. on uh, Fox, and it's on, let me see, it's on Prime or Hulu and Fox. You can watch it free on Fox, but you got to pay if you watch it on Prime. And he plays a, a very interesting uh, FBI Detective. We'll just leave it at that. Oliver Hudson. Thank you, Goldie Hawn, for giving us Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Lorna Luft. Anybody remember who Lorna Luft is? Oh, my goodness. Shame on all of you. She is Judy Garland's other daughter. (gasps) She's Liza Minnelli's half-sister. She's the daughter of Judy Garland and producer Sydney Luft. Half-sister. She wrote an autobiography, Me and My Shadows. She followed in the footsteps of her mother and sister. Her first professional screen appearance was on the Judy Garland show TV in 1963, and she was a caregiver for Judy, and she had a breakdown as a result of taking care of Judy with her drug habits. And then Judy, never mind. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. She never made it quite as big as the others, but she's around. Okay. Now, Bjork. Anybody know the singer named Bjork? Sure. 
Okay, Bjork is 57 today. Eccentric and visionary Icelandic singer celebrated for her electronic music and avant-garde personal style. You can say that her songs include Army of Me, Joga, Isabel, and Pagan Poetry. That's a lot of creative names. Michael Strahan is 51 today. You all know Michael, one way or another, from football or he set the defensive ed, set the NFL record for sacks in a season 122.5, whatever that means. I'm not a football follower. He won a Super Bowl in his final year with the New York Giants. After he retired, he became an analyst and Kelly Ripa's co-host on ABC Live with Kelly and Michael. Okay. All right. Now, Nikki Bella. Anybody know who Nikki Bella is? She's one half of the Belly Twins. Bella, Bella, tw- Belly Twins? Well, she's a wrestler. She's a female wrestler, and her sister is Brie, B-R-I-E. She's 39. They're 39. She stars in the reality TV series Total Divas. She won her first WWE Divas Championship in 2012. And anybody ever heard of Carly Rae Jepsen? She's usually on a float in a Christmas parade or something. That's where I ever heard her. Anyway, uh, her debut single reached number one on the U.S. and Canadian billboards. But what I want to tell you was it received $400 million YouTube views. Wow. Philip, when was the last time you had 400 million oh. views of any of your books? Philip, anything? Uh, I don't think it's happened yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. Good. I know. She was on Grease Live. She played Frenchie in the Fox broadcast. And Davido is 30 years old. He is a Nigerian-American singer-songwriter born in Atlanta, Georgia. Happy birthday. I have a couple social media stars. On TikTok, there's a young man named Bankroll D-Y-L. One word. Bankroll Dill. Bankroll Dill. He's 22. He only has 5 million followers. He does sketch comedy and comedic memes. Uh, one of his most popular TikToks is about when a quiet kid plays his new music for you. It only has six and a half million views. Daniel, wouldn't you, what would you give for, yeah, six and a half million. Oh, more, one minute left. Twitch, we have somebody named non not aesthetically Hannah, who's 20 and her Twitch has 370,000 fans. On Instagram, got 1.9 million. We have Polo Boy Shotty on Instagram. Happy birthday. And we have Moose on YouTube. Uh, he only has 5 million subscribers. That's about all I have time for. I want to go to the closing and I want to thank all of you. We'll skip the fact that today is National Red Mitten Day and it's Dennis Day. If you know anybody named Dennis, not the actor Dennis Day, congratulate him. It's his day, okay? And I am trying to get to my closing here, and let's just do this. So, everybody listen up, and thank you to Heidi, thank you to Susan, thank you to Philip, thank you to Daniel. Appreciate you. Don't go away. We're going to talk. Here we go. And thank you to Josh, our engineer. Life is short. Break the rules. Everybody do this. Break the rules. Come on. That's what we're all doing here. Forgive quickly, kiss slowly, laugh truly, and la- love truly and laugh uncontrollably. I want you to all join me in a 10 second laugh uncontrollably. Here we go. One, two, three. Ah! <laughs> 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 well, you're pushing that and never regret anything that made you smile. Here's the final, final work like you don't need the money because nobody cares if you do. Just get the job done and bring home the check. Dance like no one's watching. When I used to dance on top of a table, no, I was teaching. They watch. Sing like nobody's listening. I didn't sing once on this show. Love like you've never been hurt because we all have. Get over it. Heal. Let your heart regenerate and renew. Right, Heidi? There we go. I'm thinking of renewing the space for your clients, not your heart. Money talks. Chocolate sings. And last but not least, I stole this line, Philip, from a host years ago. Thank you for turning me on. Radio Red, over and out. Josh, are we done? Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host aka Radio Red again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool creative week.